My name is Andrew Bustamante, and this is Everyday Espionage. Welcome back to Season 3 of the Everyday Espionage Podcast, a project that I'm calling The Ground Truth. Ground Truth is a project about letting real covert operators, friends that I've made in my intelligence journey, tell you how espionage has benefited them in their everyday life. When I left you last, we were in a bare-bones cement room on the outskirts of civilization with my friend, who I codenamed E.D. Jackal. Jackal was telling us about how he and his wife work together to constantly assess the safety of their neighborhood and use human networks to elicit information that impacts and benefits them every day. Let's sit down with Jackal again and see what he teaches us next. And she is an excellent elicitator of information. (laughs) All she has to do if she wants to find out something, in our business, it's called give the get, right? Right. All she has to do is get a little bit of information about maybe her sister has a problem or something. Right. She lays that out, and then all of a sudden, other people start volunteering similar problems. Yep. Similar and she'll know everything, similar experiences. Establishing common ground. My wife is really good about listening very carefully to what people say. Yeah. And if there's a new lady in the neighborhood, we want to know. What's their background? Yeah. My wife will establish some sort of common ground, whether it's gardening or flower cutting or whatever. And next thing I know, she's built rapport, right? And she knows everything about her. Of course, that lady knows nothing about us. Exactly. We know everything about her. That's, so, that's the way intelligence is. Talk to me about that. That is, an, that is such a powerful lesson that, that these folks heard me talk about in previous seasons, right? Really? Okay. The, the disproportionate advantage, the disproportionate advantage that comes when you listen instead of talk. The interesting thing about intelligence skills in the training that we've had, you transfer those skills into civilian life, into the corporate boardroom, you have a huge advantage over people because using these techniques enable you to gather information or intelligence. That's power. That's real power. Yeah. Is the power, do you think, the intelligence itself or is the power what you do with the intelligence? Well, the power is actually having that intelligence because what you do with it, you have control over. Exactly. That's power. Yeah. That's the definition of power. Yeah. So now you can leverage what you've learned. Now you can you can use that information to build influence, to direct decisions, to uh, to persuade people to see things a different way, to see things your way, or even just to challenge the way that they have always seen things. It's a classic genie out of the bottle because... If you're not careful, you can use it for very dastardly reasons. Like you can various reasons. You can can manipulate your boss, manipulate people. This is how people get to the top of of corporations. People that don't even know they have these skills because some of these skills are natural. Mm. I tell my uh, children, you not only have to be a very competent person, but to get to the top in a corporation, you have to be very political. Political skills are very different than job functional skills. Yeah. You have to know how to navigate. Intelligence is really about those soft skills. Yeah. Soft skills are huge now. Like a, an ability skills. to be cunning. An ability to cunning, be clever. Maneuver. Yeah. 
you get information about your opponent. If you mm-hmm. think about it, if you're in a corporate environment, the guy that has the same job as you, he's your opponent. Yeah. Because, you know, there's only one senior vice president. If there's three vice presidents, only one of these is getting that job. And if you know what you're doing, gather information on that guy, you could obtain leverage. You could start to direct his behavior in a nefarious way. I mean, you know, you can get into some dark corners with this stuff. So the, the deep relationships that you used to build, did you only build them with people that you liked? Absolutely not, no. I mean, in the intelligence business, you have objectives yeah. that are driven by policymakers. So you have to have the kind of personality to survive and thrive in what I did. That is essentially very cold-hearted, very cunning, mm-hmm. and you recruit people, you influence, manipulate people that are good, bad, and ugly. Yeah. And it's all... You can't have any feelings. It's all for an objective. Absolutely. It's for a very important national security objective. And we, we as professionals have to separate our emotional connections from our logic and reasoning connections. That also gets down a dark alley, mm. you know, because if you start separating emotions from reasoning, you'll accomplish your objective, but there'll be some emotional carnage There's a turning on both sides. Where you start to realize how unhealthy the decisions you are making, how unhealthy they are making you. We have a saying in our business, wherever you travel, you have to take yourself with you. <laughs> so you could come back from an operation where you've inflicted severe violence, and you're on vacation, you could be in, you know, Florence, Italy. You could be in Paris, France. But you can't escape your psyche. You have to live with this stuff. You have to compartmentalize it. Compartmentalize it. And you, you, I mean, we're human beings. Yeah. And you achieve sort of a duality. So you have to separate these two people now. You have the person that's an alias doing all this crazy stuff. And then you have the other person, your civilian side, who has to come home and mow the lawn. I like this transition. I want to follow you through it because your alias operations in particular have been some of the most interesting that I've really ever encountered. Because the traditional model is that most intelligence officers will operate in alias, but that alias is very limited. When you have folks who operate in deep cover, they have extended periods of time in multiple types of alias. So what you're comfortable about saying, and if you overstep, I'll just edit it out. But talk to us about your experience and talk to us about what darkness you encountered. Yeah, you know, most of my uh, missions were extended periods of time. So I would go into what we call denied areas. Areas that if you were caught committing espionage, a bullet in the back of the head would be a welcome thing. Mm. Because the torture, the imprisonment would be so horrible that I would never wish that upon anybody. So the stakes are really high. In order to survive and thrive in an environment like that, you not only have to have a good cover company, you have to have the skills. So you have to actually become this person that you're supposed to be, 100%, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. You can't walk in with two hats on. You can't walk in with two hats. You have to be this person. It's like a movie. You have to be Daniel Day-Lewis. You know how he dives into a role? Oh, yeah. Christian Bale's another one. You know? Anthony Hopkins. These are all people who use what's called method acting. Paul Newman was a great method actor. These people would, like, jump into these roles, and they would become this person. I had to do the same thing. What's different between that and what I did is that you combine that duality with 
immense stress and pressure. Yeah. That exacerbates this duality. So I would come home after six months, and uh, I'd show up at the airport. I would look different. I would act differently. My kids wouldn't even know who I was. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'd have to kind of reacquaint myself with the family. And it caused a lot of problems because I'd be, I was agitated. There was no more adrenaline. We try and take vacations right after I came back, which is a big mistake. Hmm. There has to be a cooling off period. And, you know, before we really adapted to this, for instance, the next morning I'd wake up and I was no longer this James Bond character. I was being forced to, not forced, but my wife would announce, hey, the back lawn needs mowing. <laughs> you know, we got to take that table apart downstairs and bring it to the dump. It doesn't work when you look at your wife and you say, don't you know who I am? Don't you know who I am? I'm such and such. Come on. She's like, Pour me a glass of champagne. You know? That's not what I remember. No, no. We're taking sure. the trash out. we got some bills to pay. The, nobody's cleaned up the dog poop in three exactly weeks. Exactly right. We get ready for church. You know, it's like... You know, so this is what I was faced with. Caused a lot of problems. You know, your comparison with method acting is really interesting to me, too, because I've had this conversation because it's the closest thing I think people can get to trying to conceptualize what it's like to operate an alias. I find that it's method acting is very different from it's the closest thing we can use to describe it. But when a actor develops or develops a character by method acting, they are actually fully becoming Absolutely. That character. They're, Absolutely. They're leaving Absolutely. behind everything that they yeah. were, and they're becoming yeah. this new thing. Absolutely. We don't get that luxury. We Absolutely. have to bring forward our training. Absolutely. We have to bring forward our objectives. Right. We have to bring forward the plan. We have to bring forward everything with us and selectively choose what we right. leave behind. We have to leave behind yeah. our loved ones. Yep. We have to leave behind our, our high school diplomas yep. and leave behind sure. our true identities educationally right. and professionally. So we have to selectively choose and compartment Right. This information so that when we're in the field, when you're drinking champagne, when you're, you know, living it up wherever you're living it up or whenever you have a six inch beard and you're right. playing tribesmen right. in rural, you name it, stand. Right. Right. You have to be that person. But remember that you have a purpose. Right. A very specific objective that you're trying to. Exactly. Achieve. Right. I was on a movie set one time. I was hired as a very anonymous consultant in a movie that will remain unnamed and in place unnamed. And I met a couple of the actors, very famous people. They were taught having the same conversation about method <laughs> acting and working in an alias, and they were very curious, you know. I told them a little bit about what I did, but the actor, at one point, I'll never forget this, he said, and we were comparing all the similarities, and he said, there's one difference. I said, what's that? And he says, we have a script, huh. you know, and you don't. And I said, important you know, I never thought about that. <laughs> And if I make a mistake in the script, it's not cut. It's uh, going to cut your head off, dude. Yeah, right. Big difference. And he kind of laughed. He said, you know, I have a real appreciation for a dude like you. you know? And the funny thing was is I walked away thinking this is just a dude playing a role. And I think by the time I left, the guy really wanted to be He actually wanted to be me. <laughs> he told me, he says, everything I have, all the pomp and circumstance, the money, the status, the power, he says, man, he says, I would give anything. To do what you did. You know, it's funny. I get, I get, it's amazing. I yeah. get people who say that to me too, right? Really? Yeah. And it, it's an awkward feeling. I'm sure it's awkward yeah, for me too. Because awkward. you don't feel special. Exactly. Right? You're like, this was my calling. Exactly. Just like acting is your calling. Exactly. Right? And yeah. would I love to spend a day in Daniel Day Lewis's shoes? I think so, potentially, right? I'm guessing his day's pretty cool. 
I don't really know for sure. He's a cool dude. He's a cool. He seems like a cool dude from what we know, right? Totally different than what he is on the set. <laughs> He's just a very introverted, shy person. Doesn't like to be around people. But I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. When others say that to me, I don't think they're thinking about what it really is like. Right. Right. What it's actually like to to kiss your wife on the cheek and say, I can't tell you where I'm going. I can't tell you how long I'll be gone. I can't even tell you that the mission that I'm on right now is one that I agree with. Right. Exactly. Because we take orders. Yeah. It boils down to that. That's something Hollywood doesn't really show. Yeah. You have a piece of paper signed by the President of the United States saying, this I authorize you, you to do this. And you do it. So <laughs> this is also interesting to me, and, and I want to hit on this because we have an option. We have an option of seeing what's on that piece of paper and saying, this is not the mission for me. And then that mission slides down the table, right, to somebody else. And then whoever says no to the mission pays whatever consequences there are to saying no, right? And sometimes those consequences are steep, and sometimes people are connected enough that it doesn't matter. But at the bottom of that table, after everybody else has said no to that piece of paper, <laughs> that's where Jackal sits. That's when I come in. <laughs> that's when I come in. Because... We could talk about this too. You know, I had a rough upbringing. I had a father that always told me I was no good. I was a star athlete, a college scholarship athlete at, at the highest level, at Division One level. Never came to a game, told me I was just no good. So I developed sort of this hard edge to me where I was always proving myself. So what I was known for, and you know, the agency is very clever. They're very smart people. They're super smart. People. They figured out what my vulnerability was. And my vulnerability was, and still is, hey, hey, Jackal, nobody can do this. There is nobody that can do this. And you know what? Nobody wants to do this. I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. I am in, brother. I'm we in. Need, we need somebody who specializes I, in I'll the do impossible. that, man. You're exactly right. I think I told you that. You yeah. Know? And I think that that's so fascinating. Specialize in the impossible. You specialize in the impossible. I love saying that. There are people who do it, right? And even, so, you know, I, I adore you, man. I adore you. And... And even as you talk about your vulnerability being your ego, and the folks listening know about the four motivations, they know the power of ego, right? It's so powerful, even though you are aware of it. Absolutely. It's so powerful to you that you still slip into that egotistical voice. Like you talk about actors wanting to be you, and you talk about how satisfying it is when someone comes to you and says, hey, we need you. You specialize in the impossible. We need you. Yeah, because there is no monetary rewards and there is no recognition. This is not like the military. The military, you take down a machine gun nest, you can get a silver star. And guess what? You can wear that on a, on a really pretty uniform and go to church and go to your son's wedding. And everybody knows what a great guy you are. Wow, this guy's a legend, a hero. Me, I won a big award, right? I'll tell you a funny story. So I won a bunch of medals, okay? a bunch of, you know, at the very top of the organization for doing, you know, some crazy stuff. So it was like, I get a phone call. Hey, you and your wife, we're going to meet you in a motel room uh, in Vienna, Virginia, and we're going to present you with this great award. So a bunch of VIPs show up in suits. I show up in my jeans and cowboy boots, you know, <laughs> and I get this award. I get this great speech. Of course, I can't tell anybody what really happened. It's, it's like over in five minutes. And they had this nice velvet box, and they show you this metal, and it kind of glistens, you know, and you're like, wow, you know. Close the box. Sorry, but uh, we're going to put this away in a safe. 
And when you retire, you can collect all the hardware. No big deal. But, you know, it goes away in a safe. So many years later, a few years ago, show up at headquarters and uh, for somebody's retirement party. And this was always in the back of my mind. And the guy was a very senior guy. He says, oh, yeah. He says, I'll take you down to the office where they keep all this stuff, you know. I'm walking down there thinking, boy, this is going to be one big haul. You know, I have to finally bring this home. I'll, I'll display it in my study. I've got kind of a bunker in the basement, you know. It's on a lock and key steel door. I'm putting this stuff up. This is going to be freaking great. My kids will see it, grandkids, you know, be passed down. They finally find a guy, and the guy looks at me, and he says, uh, what was your status? And I told him what my very specific status was. He looks at me and he goes, uh, you're, not, you're not getting those, man. He goes, what are you talking about? He says, we just had one of those. We show the same one to all you guys. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, we just have one of them. That's all. You thought you like each one of you guys got one of these? No, no, it's the same one. I mean, I won one of them three times. The same you show one, me the same freaking medal three times? The same one? Hilarious. Yeah. Come on, man. Come on, Jackal. We do have you one. son of a bitch. We have one silver medal medals, really man. made of silver. But and we show that one medal to all hundred winners. They only have one in the entire in the entire organization. These cheap bastards. You think they could get like a, at least a dozen made so I could get one? Come on, man. I'll even pay for the chain. You know? I mean, come on. You know. So, so you were talking about <laughs> true two, story. But I, I completely believe it, and it doesn't surprise me one. I walked out of there one iota. I was depressed for a week. <laughs> so, you mentioned ego being a vulnerability. So. I want you to wear the teacher hat for a second, right? Sure. And teach us what the difference is between a vulnerability and what a motivation is and, and how that applies to espionage. Motivation is the wine. The vulnerabilities, that's the cocaine. Mm. Huge difference. Example, motivation. A guy needs money, right? Everybody needs money. Hey, I'll pay you $2,000 a month. To provide me with an underground rat line network. Mm. You organize the trucks. The only problem with that is that the Russians come along, or the Iranians, or the Chinese, they'll pay them 3000 a month. That's a motivation. You know? guy can be motivated by one of the weakest motivations. Patriotism. Mm. Want to do something for my country. That's all bullshit. Okay? Vulnerabilities is what you have to get. Because you could identify... A vulnerability, you have that person forever. Because that's a qualitative motivation is really what it is. Think of motivations as quantitative, vulnerabilities are qualitative. A good example of a vulnerability. I just gave you one. Me, mm -hmm. right? What's my vulnerability? Your ego. Ego and a lack of self-esteem. Which is funny. The agency just keeps hitting that button. And it's interesting that Nobody could do that. You put so, ego and a lack of self-esteem in the same in the yeah. same bucket, right? Yeah. And I think that that's so interesting because people don't understand. They think that ego is a sense of self-righteousness or like a haughty confidence. Ego is yes. anything that has to do with the way that the person sees themselves. Exactly. So you see yourself through the eyes of the child that your dad never recognized. Absolutely, right. So you spend your career trying to prove to that figure that you're worth it. And every life that you touch along the way, they look at you and they're like, this guy is amazing. This guy is impressive. Look at what this guy can do. Yeah, he yeah, specializes yeah. in the impossible. 
Meanwhile, you're sitting across the table from that same person thinking to yourself, I'm still not worth it. Exactly. I got to do something else. What else do I got to do? Keep still, raising exactly. the bar. Yeah. And we worked for an agency that as as prestigious and as as positive as my experience was with it, the fact is that it specializes in finding your vulnerability. And it right. specializes in sure. teaching you and me how to find vulnerabilities in others that will, at the end of the day, give us the objective advantage of stealing secret information. Right. And to be really successful at this, and of course, I always wanted to be the best of the best, you have to do this all the time. You cannot turn this off, which creates other psychological oh, yeah. uh, damage and psychological stress you know, stress and issues because you got to be doing this 24-7. I'm at a cocktail party, a neighborhood barbecue, and I'm analyzing the guy that just moved in five houses down. <laughs> I'm probing for vulnerabilities. I'm probing for motivation. What makes this guy tick? How do I operationally it's, use this if, person? If I ever needed this guy, how can I get leverage on this guy? Yeah. What about his wife? What about his kids? I'm, anal I'm analyzing. You know what? My wife does the same thing. It's a little bit dark. You know? It's very dark, man. It's very dark. One yeah. of the hardest transitions that I had to deal with was when I left the agency. Because you, you come into this culture where you just, and you're surrounded by other agency officers, right? This conversation that you and I have, this isn't out of place for people like us. Right. right? We, this is what we talk about over breakfast like we did this morning. It's what we talk about when we go for a long drive to go scuba diving together, right? Like we sit and we talk about this kind of stuff. Right. And then when you leave, when I left the agency, I suddenly found myself in a community surrounded by people who were not prepared and not comfortable right. with having this kind of conversation. Exactly. At, at the agency, you can sit across from somebody. You can be like, hey, look, I'm egotistical. Of course, yeah. And I, and I sit across from people, <laughs> exactly. right? Yeah. And I sit across from people and I say, hey, you know, I, I am not as loyal to my country as I am to my wife. Right. And that's just the way it is. Right. But there's a transparency there because right. we don't need to impress each other. And we know that when it comes down to it, if we're in a firefight, I don't need to know what you want me to know. I need to know who you are. Right. I need right. to know when those bullets start flying, whether or not you're going to be the guy that hides out or whether you're going to be the guy that stands up on the wall or whether you're going to be the guy that, you know, do you need yeah. five minutes to, to comport yourself before you pick up right. your weapon? Yeah. And, there's nothing wrong with being any of those three guys, right? right? But I need to know who you are. And, and the reason and why in the you, outside world, yeah. people don't want you to know. They don't have that confidence, that comfort level being transparent because they haven't all had the opportunity to assess themselves the way that we've had to assess ourselves. They don't know who they are themselves. They right. have never reached the top of the triangle, which is just above self-realization, self-actualization. Self -actualization. They don't know who they are. Exactly. So Themselves. So yeah. go continue down this, man. Keep teaching us, right? Because self-actualization is exactly the word that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. So you and I had a really cool conversation not long ago about personality. Jump in anywhere you think is interesting, and let's talk about self-actualization and the power that it brings. You know, to get to self-actualization, you have to reach self-realization first. Because self-realization is really... Discovering yourself through spiritual discovery, psychological discovery, intellectual discovery, reading the great books, meditation, philosophy. So once you realize who you really are as a person, your vulnerabilities, you know, once you reach deep inside of you on a regular basis, 
Now you have to put that into practice. You have to apply it. Mm. That's where self-actualization comes from. Do you from. like those discoveries that you find out about yourself? I discover more about myself every day through meditation, absolutely. Yeah. Read the great books, as you can tell. And self-actualization is very powerful because once you know who you are, then you can recognize that calling from the forest. Then you're no longer working in a career, but now you're in a vocation. Vocation, not the kind of vocation most people think about. Carpentry, woodshop, welding, auto mechanics. Vocation really means doing what you were called to do. It, it, it's a passion. Good examples of people that work in the garden, at, as I say, it's a vocation. Sculptors, painters, writers, musicians. Those are classic people who are in vocations. They don't care about career. Careers, you got to climb over the guy next to you, manager, director, VP, SVP, president of the company. That, that's a career. Right. Okay. Vocation is totally different. Vocation is, that's my calling. What I do is a vocation. I knew from a very early age that I wanted to be a special ops soldier. When I was in high school, college, afterwards, even in the corporate world, Everything I did consciously pointed in that direction. So if you can tap into what's my vocation, you're unstoppable. Jackal is living proof of the power of passion, of what he calls vocation. But he is also proof of how ego can be used against us. Just as CIA used it against him to get him to continue doing the work that nobody else would do. The work that nobody else could do. We can choose to chase medals that aren't ours. We can choose to seek glory that gets forgotten. We can choose to prioritize praise over purpose. But we can also choose to find our calling, dedicate our talent, and build our own tribe. I am so happy that Jackal is part of my tribe. Stay tuned, because next time, Jackal still has more to give us. He has more to teach, and I, like you, have much more to learn from him. This is Everyday Espionage. Everyday Espionage is dedicated to one thing, educating everyday people. I know that not everyone will listen, but those who listen will learn. If you learned something new today, click subscribe, review, and share the podcast with a friend. Find me on social media at Everyday Spy or on my website, everydayspy.com. If you are up for a special challenge, visit everydayspy.com forward slash operations and join me for an authentic spy training mission. And above all else, remember that knowledge is freedom. <laughs>